Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. The Bible is our authority and every message delivered proclaims the truth in a way that is relevant and practical for daily life. At Vail Christian, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. Hey, I want to talk to you about Gospel Rescue Mission just for a moment. We, um, you know, we try really hard to make sure that we are supporting all kinds of local and global missions um, in our community and all, all around, right? And so Gospel Rescue Mission is uh, something that's really valuable and really important to us. It is a really difficult ministry. You can imagine how if you just uh, are paying attention to the world that we live in, how actually recently Gospel Rescue Mission has been almost overwhelmed with more, just more, <laughs> um, more people, more everything. And so um, a couple of years ago, Mark, our financial administrator and myself, we kind of sat down and talked about our benevolence as a church and um, it was becoming actually very difficult for us as a church to determine if we were really helping people or not a lot of times regarding um, lots of things, people needing food and assistance and things like that. And, um, you know, because the world's just really changing a lot. So uh, I called, I have a cousin, her name is Sherry Pitney, and um, her dad, my uncle, he launched in Chicago area, Rockford, the Rockford Rescue Mission when he was just a young man. And so Sherry now is the CEO and president of Rock, Rockford Rescue Mission. I called her and I said, hey, tell me about this a little bit more. You know, I'd been there. It's been a part of our lives as a family for a long time. And I just said, what kinds of changes have you seen? She said, wow. She said, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's um, just really, really crazy, the amount of addiction that they address and just food assistance and just basic necessities, clothing and shelter and just all kinds of things. And um, so we talked for a long time and I said, well, as a church, you know, we're, we're struggling because we want to make sure that we are utilizing our funds efficiently and effectively. And I just feel like we are so unqualified to determine a lot of times when people come to us, whether we should be helping them or not. I don't know if you know what I mean, but it is becoming more and more difficult. And um, it's just kind of the way it is. I mean, people actually aren't, don't tell the truth <laughs> about things. And so we are finding ourselves in this spot where we're like, man, what do we do? And I, I think what we decided was, uh, we just said, listen, I, we know that Gospel Rescue Mission is really good at this, and we want to um, not um, abdicate our role, but we want to be more supportive and just change the way we go about things. So, um, so we have, and uh, we've started to support um, gospel, gospel Rescue Mission financially. We started working it out in our budget to do, uh, to steer those funds that were normally done in terms of benevolence um, and work it that way. And, um, and I think it's really effective as I'm talking to my, uh, my, my family, my relationships with the Rockford Rescue Mission, um, 
I said, you know, what, how do you feel about, um, you know, all these changes? How, how, what do I need to communicate to the church? And she said, you know, look, she goes, I know it's really hard, but what I would say is, is that you can put it in terms like this. You know, there's lots of people that hold up cardboard signs asking for help, right? And what she would say is that it seems incompassionate, but she would say you should never give money to people that are doing that. And she said, you shouldn't be uh, fearful about telling the church that you should never do that because you're actually never helping anybody when you do that. It's, it's, it's almost... Um, impossible. You're giving people money and you can't determine whether or not they're going to use it for the right reasons. And she said, my experience is it's never used for the right reasons. And so she said, just don't do it because there's other ways that you can steer your service and help. And that's not the way to do it. And she said, that just perpetuates things. And um, she said, it's really hard for people to to do. Um, But she said, that's what I would say. And she said, look, I've been doing this my whole life. I'm an expert, I know. <laughs> and then it's really hard to tell people that, but that's what I tell people. Don't, don't, don't give people with cardboard signs money. And so um, I said, well, what do we do then? And, you know, we talked through things. Um, we're actually doing a lot of the things that we should do. And let me tell you about them really quick. So you just got to see a little video. But Michelle Trapinski and Lisa Dines in particular, they kind of host little teams of people um, periodically to go and serve food and um, help at the Gospel Rescue Mission. And what I would say is the best way for you to get involved in helping this unbelievable, overwhelming need, it seems like, is to motivate your community group um, to serve with Michelle and Lisa and others. Uh, You can just volunteer down there, but when you go, uh, when you when you go and do those kinds of things, it totally changes you. It absolutely changes you, and it gives you real perspective. I don't know if you know what the um, vision statement or the mission statement for Gospel Rescue Mission is, but it is hope, shelter, and transformation. Um, it's very simple. Um, if you talk to um, just some of the people that I talked to, I talk, I was talking with Brad Smith. He's the vice president um, down there. And the Gospel Rescue Mission CEO is uh, Lisa Chastain. She's, she's an unbelievable woman. And I think that their perspective and their mission and everything that they're doing is on point. And, um, but they're pretty overwhelmed with just the amount of all kinds of new folks that they are having to feed and take care of um, more and more. So you can imagine how much, um, how much help that they need. So this is what I would say is that if you really want to learn about hope, (laughs) uh, not cross your fingers kind of hope, um, uh, link arms with the people in your community group and serve at one of these things because uh, one of these opportunities, it it will change you. It'll really make you understand just how much you don't know how to communicate hope. And you go down there a few times and and you'll reevaluate just what you have to offer. And the things that are going to change people's lives are Jesus. Jesus is um, truly the hope that people need. Um, And uh, a lot of times I think you don't really get that until you roll up your sleeves 
and do something like that. So I'd encourage you, you, you can volunteer, uh, sing uh, just as an individual. Um, you, it's inconvenient. It's not going to line up in your plans. Um, it's, uh, it's really hard to do, um, to make the room and the space in your life to do it. But um, you really need to do that. And if every community group just a couple times a year did this, um, that would, that'd be a, a lot. We have community groups that do it periodically and consistently, but I think everybody should uh, take a turn. This year, we're um, still this, this we're, we're moving into this season where it seems like we're asking you to do a lot. And um, we're doing that on purpose. And I'm not going to apologize for asking a lot of the church. I think that we're the richest people on the planet. Um, and if you don't think you are, then you have not traveled out of the United States. Okay? Uh, you just, all you got to do is go across the border. Um, and, and like, uh, we're going to send some people down to build a home this week um, in, um, in Mexico. Uh, we're the richest people on the planet. We have a lot. You have more time, talent, and treasure than uh, most anybody in the, in the world. And so we're, we ask you to do a lot. We're going to ask you to buy turkeys this year again. We're going to ask you to buy Christmas gifts for uh, Baptist Children's Foundation and Gap Ministries. We're going to ask you to um, uh, serve at the 5K because, uh, you know, another um, entity that we support is uh, hands of hope. They bring hope to people who are in pretty desperate situations and, and are, are struggling and trying to figure things out and, and uh, marriages and women and men that, that are just wrestling with uh, issues about life. And hands of hope actually brings that real hope um, to people and they help people. They, all their services are free. We, um, we support um, the uh, uh, more than a bed. We support pro-love. We support um, missionaries in Spain and Ukraine, all of them are br- bringing hope to the world. The church is the hope of the world. So we're asking you to a lot. We're going to ask you to come to the dessert with a pastor because we want to think about the future. We're, we care about teenagers. We care about um, children. We care about all, all kinds of things. So the, the church is spread out doing a lot of things. Now we have a four recovery ministry because it's important that we address all kinds of issues. You guys are going to be asked to do a lot. Roll up your sleeves. I don't want to hear any complaining. Uh, we have a lot. So we need to do a lot. Okay. So um, motivate your community group. And, other, and there's other ways to sign up with Michelle and Lisa um, to go serve at the Gospel Rescue Mission. I promise you, it will change your perspective on bringing hope um, to people. And it'll help you reevaluate and do a little bit more work on, actually, what do I have to offer um, people? Um, it'll, it'll change you, I promise it, it. It will, and it'll be really good for you to serve a little bit of food to people that have to utilize Gospel Rescue Mission to eat, and it'll change you. Take your Bible and turn to John chapter 5. I said we were going to be in the... Um, Chapter 5 in this particular spot one more time because it's really important. Uh, I, I just didn't feel like we'd just gloss over it. Um, I, I, it's not like I glossed over it last week, but I just think there's more there. I, it's going to feel a little teachy this week. It's just the way it is. 
you know, if you like to take notes, then get your pencil out and your pen and, and write them down. I'm going to utilize a lot of scriptures today. But instead of moving on, I thought we should just stick around here for a little bit and focus on something that's massively important to uh, the gospel writer, John. I think it's really important to him and all the other New Testament writers, by the way, and the way that we view the Old Testament scriptures and how those scriptures relate to Jesus and what difference it makes for us, understanding how the Old Testament, um, uh, on every page of the Old Testament, it is designed, inspired, motivated by God to uh, reveal who Jesus is. So it's a good place for us to focus because twice in this passage, Jesus says that the Old Testament scriptures are written about him. He says, they're all written about me. (laughs) And I don't know if you realize that, but they are. John chapter five, just look at this one verse. I'm not gonna read through the whole passage again because we spent a lot of time dicing it up last week. But I want you to focus on verse 39 just for a minute. It says, you study the scriptures. He's talking to the Jewish religious leaders, the experts in the law. These are the guys that study them. These are the guys that know them and, and, and are saturated in these scriptures. He says, you study the scriptures thoroughly because you think in them you possess eternal life. And it is these same scriptures that testify about me. Now, why did he poke them in the eye with that? You know, you know the scriptures really well and they, they, they testify about me, right? And this really makes them mad the word scriptures here refer to the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, because obviously they didn't have the Gospels, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Revelation. They didn't have all of Paul's letters to all the churches, right? They didn't have um, James's letter. They didn't have Jude. They didn't have any of those scriptures, all right? They had the Old Testament scriptures. That's what he's saying when it comes to scriptures, We call the Old Testament or Old Covenant, uh, we call it the Old Covenant because we believe that the Jewish Messiah has come, Jesus. And by his death and resurrection, he's inaugurated then the New Testament. So the Old Testament equals the Old Covenant. New Testament equals New Covenant, the New Promise. So the writings that Jesus authorized through the apostles are included in our Bibles because they summarize the completion of what was promised in the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. So we call these the scriptures, all right? The Bible, and the way we use that that terminology, is the container, all right, organized so that you can make sense of it, organized, but it holds all the important teachings, the scriptures, okay? Now, the most important thing about the new covenant is that Jesus and the Jewish uh, or the Jewish Messiah died for sinners so that both Jews and Gentiles, that's everybody, who trust in him would be become heirs of the Old Testament promises. So there's Old Testament promises in there, right? And so Jesus teaches this when he says in Matthew chapter 8, you don't have to turn there. Let me just read him for you, verses 11 and 12. I tell you, Many will come from the east and the west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so there's this banquet, these promises, this whole thing. And the Lord's Supper is like a precursor um, to this feast and this banquet. But he says, the sons of the kingdom will be thrown out in the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What? In other words, what's he saying here? Gentiles who believe in Jesus 
the Messiah are included in the banquet of Abraham and all these promises in heaven. And Jews who don't believe in Jesus are excluded from the banquet of heaven, uh, uh, the banquet of Abraham in heaven. So you can read all of them and you can even say, I know them, but if it's not about Jesus, you're not included in that banquet, right? In other words, any Jew, any Gentile will be an heir of Abraham's banquet if he believes in Jesus, the Messiah. So Paul says in Galatians 3, in verses 7, and then you can slip down to uh, verse 29, he says, So then understand that those who believe are the sons of Abraham, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. So the entire Old Testament is really valuable to followers of Jesus because all followers of Jesus are promised by God to be true Jews. Now, the Jews didn't really like that at the time. Beneficiaries of all the promises made to the covenant people. The Old Testament is so valuable because it's a book about God's work with Israel in preparation for Messiah who would come not only to save Israel but to save the world from the power and the punishment of sin. Save, save everyone, okay? So there's lessons in the Old Testament, in the book, for everybody. God promised Abram in Genesis 12. In verses two, through, 2 and 3, then I will make you into a great nation, he said. I'll bless you. I'll make you, uh, your name so great that uh, you will exemplify divine blessing. I will, I will bless those who bless you, but the one who treats you lightly, I must curse. You know, who doesn't believe what, uh, um, what I've promised here? And all the families of the earth will bless one another by your name. So, and then Paul shows us that this promise is fulfilled in the gospel of Jesus, Messiah, and he says in Galatians 3, chapter 8, what's he say? He says, and the scriptures, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Proclaim the gospel to Abraham ahead of time, saying all the nations will be blessed in you. Okay? So, we who are Christ followers, Christ followers, we don't reject the Old Testament. No. You know, just because we have the New Testament. No, we embrace it as the word of God in preparation for Messiah or Jesus, as the word of God, in the, um, as he begins to um, illuminate the meaning of Jesus and his work. So the Old Testament is a lesson book for everybody, and it keeps shedding light on the work of Jesus. And every page of the scriptures in the Old Testament, it just screams Jesus on every page. It's all connected to him, revealing him. The scriptures testify about Jesus. The scriptures testify about Jesus. So John 5, 39, you study the scriptures, Jesus says again, thoroughly because you think in them, you possess eternal life. And it is these same scriptures that testify about me. Okay? So Jesus is saying the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, our scriptures taken as a whole, testify about Jesus. And then verse 46 says it again, just says it a little differently. We went through this last week. If you believe Moses, the author of the first five books of the Bible, right? Of the Old Testament, excuse me. 
you would believe in me because he wrote about me. So verse 46 says that Moses wrote about Jesus. Imagine that. And verse 39 says the scriptures testify about Jesus. How do the scriptures testify? How do they do it? How does it work? Just think for a minute the implications of saying that the scriptures testify about Jesus. What does the word testify mean or imply? What does it mean? Listen to the way that John uses the word in John 1.34. John the Baptist says, I've seen and I've, I bear witness. I'm testifying that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. In John 3.11, Jesus says, I, I'm telling you the truth. We speak about what we know and testify about what we have seen. Using that word we there, right? John 3, 32, he testifies about what has, he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony in John 19, 35. And the person who saw it has testified. When you stand out there in the baptistry or you observe someone being baptized, we are pretty adamant about helping, assisting someone, working with somebody when they stand up there before they get into the water, which is a picture or a testimony of the transformation that is um, um, the, the transformation that you can't always see that's on the inside, right? An outward expression of an inward transformation. We help them with their testimony. Their story, we call it, right? So a testifier or a witness is ordinarily one who has seen something and can testify about what he's seen. They give firsthand evidence. They were there. They don't argue something uh, that something happened. They say, I know, I know what happened. I saw it. I saw it. Okay. God is the testimony. Now, this, you know, sometimes it sounds a little complicated, but what does it mean when John calls the Old Testament scriptures a testimony to Jesus? What does he mean? Since writings can't see, I think it means scriptures in summary, are an explanation for God who inspired the scriptures. God saw Jesus and he knew Jesus long before Jesus was on earth. He witnessed all that. He saw him as his son in, in, in heaven eternally. He saw what the, his son would be in history when he came. And because he saw, he could testify about it. So the scriptures are written. He utilized humans, that's for sure, but they were all inspired by God. So when John says about the scriptures in chapter 5, verse 39, it is that they testify about me, right? He means that God knew Jesus perfectly and fully face to face he, um, and that he inspired these scriptures, and, the, and through the scriptures, they reveal who Jesus is. They reveal Jesus. God said things, and he did things in the scriptures, which if, had, if we had understood them, we, had, we, would, we would have a glimpse of Jesus, and would have, we, we would be prepared to recognize him and receive him when he comes. So he's saying to these people, if you have your the eyes of your heart open. 
you would see Jesus, you would know Jesus. So the testimony of the scriptures in John's gospel. I think this is really important just in John's gospel. In John 2.17, Jesus drives out the money changers, right? In the temple. And John quotes Psalm 69.9. And he says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will devour me. In John 6, Jesus reminded the Jews that their father, their fathers had eaten manna in the wilderness in Exodus, you know, in that story in Exodus 16. And then applied it to himself in John 6, for the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He calls himself the bread, the bread of life. So the manna in the Old Testament, is a pointer type of life and ministry of Jesus. In John 7, 38, Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to living water. John 7, 38, let the one who believes in me drink. Just as the scriptures says, from within him will flow living waters. Maybe he's referring to Isaiah 58, 11 or Isaiah 44, Ezekiel 36. So in John 7, 42, in this journey through John, the enemies of Jesus draw attention to the fact that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. And they're like, you, you haven't been born in Bethlehem? Which they don't know, right? Referring to Micah 5, 2. says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem because they didn't think that's where Jesus was born. And that's actually exactly where he was born, right? Just because he was born in Nazareth or just because he grew up in Nazareth. Does it mean he wasn't in Bethlehem? We know he, he was born in Bethlehem. In John 10, 35, one of the most important references to the scriptures in John's gospel, because after referring to Psalm 82, 6, Jesus says, the scriptures cannot be broken. It's one of the strongest claims for the infallibility of the scriptures, the inerrancy of the Bible. And it's, not all out of character. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17 and 18, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, you know, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. I've not come to abolish these things, but to fulfill them, right? Because they're all about me and they're talking about me coming. I'm telling you the truth until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of, the, of a letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. Because everything that's written before me is about me. <laughs> Every teaching in Scripture will be fulfilled. That was Jesus' view. John chapter 12, verse 37 through 40. Although Jesus, Jesus had performed so many miraculous signs in, this, in Isaiah 6, 10, before them, although he did all this, they still refused to believe in him so that the word of Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled, right? Isaiah, 600 years before Jesus, prophesies what? He said, Lord, who has believed our message and whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe because, again, Isaiah said what? Here it is, Isaiah 6, 10. Long before Jesus is born, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and understood with their heart and turn to me and would heal them. John says in chapter 12, verse 41, 
Isaiah said these things because he saw Christ's glory and spoke about him. This is really astonishing, I think. Isaiah is testifying about Jesus because when he saw the glory of God revealed from heaven, he was seeing the glory of Jesus. Nothing more all-inclusive could be said about the way the Old Testament testifies about Jesus. In essence, John is saying where God is revealed in the Old Testament, Jesus is revealed. If you see God at work, you see Jesus at work. Because Jesus is being revealed in every place. This means that the, old, that the way the Old Testament gets people ready to know Jesus is not just by specific prophecies that have specific fulfillments. Like, he'll be born in Bethlehem. That's very specific. But far more profoundly, the point is, if you meet God and you know God, you love God, you admire God, then everything about you is shaped by God as he truly reveals himself in his, um, in his way in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus comes, you will know him because you'll have already known him because of what you know from the Old Testament. He will have shaped your mind and your heart so much that when he comes in the flesh, there's not going to be any discrepancy. There won't be any disagreement or any tension or any difference between the God that you know from the Old Testament and the appearance of God in Jesus. This is why it seems like he's really harsh with the religious leaders, right? But he's actually not. He's being very factual, John chapter 12 is an amazing window into how Jesus viewed the Jewish scriptures. And then from uh, from chapter 13 to the end of the book, John just pours it on to show us that almost every detail of Jesus and his work was planned by God and the scriptures testify to it. It's all been planned by God. John just heaps it on there. So it's a big deal to John. Right? That's why I wanted to stop. John 13, 18. Check, check it out. Just walk through it with me. Look at it. I'll just put the Old Testament uh, referral or scripture right there where he quotes it. Right next to it. John 13, 18. What, am I, uh, what I am saying does not refer to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the scriptures. Here it comes. In verse 9 of Psalm 41, the one who eats my bread is turned against me. So John 15, 25, and Psalm 35, 19. This has happened to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without reason. John 17, 12, and then Psalm 109. When I was with them, I kept, uh, I, I kept them safe and watched over them in your name that you have given me. Not one of them was lost except the one destined for destruction so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. John 19, 24 and Psalm 22. The soldier said to one another, let's not tear it up. What are they talking about? His clothing, right? His robe. Let's throw dice to see who will get it. This took place to fulfill the scriptures. They divided my garments among them right out of Psalm 22. And for my clothing, they drew, uh, they threw dice. So the soldiers did these things. Psalm 19, Psalm 69 
Let's just keep going. Psalm 1936, Psalm 34, Psalm uh, John 19, verse 37, Zechariah 12, 10. I'm not even going to read them. John 20, verse 9, and Psalm 16. All along uh, uh, with all of these direct quotes from scriptures, John, John's gospel is just littered, just littered with indirect references to, to uh, scripture. So, you, so, so we have direct quotes and indirect references all throughout the gospel of John to show specific revelation of God and to reveal Jesus. And we know God as, uh, so that we know God as he really is in the Old Testament so that we would actually know Jesus. I said it earlier, the implications are really, really big right here. Here's the assumption behind these three um, implications that we're going to get to, which are very controversial and pluralistic and relativistic religious world, uh, the, the religious world that we live in. Lots of people talk about God and say they know God, and lots of people do know about God. But listen to this. The assumption is that God, the God of the Old Testament and the person of Jesus are revealed in scriptures, and they are in such unity that what you believe about either one can be tested by what you believe about the other. Let me say it again. The assumption that is being presented here by the Gospel of John is that the God of the Old Testament and the person of Jesus are revealed in scriptures, old and new, and are in such unity that what you believe about either one can be tested by what you believe about the other. What in the world is it, can this possibly have to do with you and I? Let me explain. Don't get up. Just hang on. Watch this. John shows us three times so we can test ourselves and test others who claim to know God. Lots of people claim to know God. Do you know God in John 8, 19? Jesus' challengers, his antagonists who claim to know God, they say this in verse 19 of John 8, 19, right? Then they begin asking him, who is your father? Jesus answered, you guys, you don't know either me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father too. It's like just poking him in the eye and saying, look, you, you know, you read all about my father in the Old Testament, and you're asking, who's my father, right? The fact that these combatants don't know Jesus, they don't, they don't recognize and they don't become aware of his deity or him becoming Messiah or his role as a suffering servant in Isaiah 53. You think they haven't read Isaiah 53? Shows that they don't know God. You don't know either me or my father. You guys don't know anything. What does this have to do with me? Well, do you honor God? John 5, 23, so that all people will honor the Son of God as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father, the Father who sent him. So the Father and the Son are revealed in scriptures at, uh, in such a way and they're in such unity that if you dishonor one, you dishonor the other. If you claim to honor God today but reject Jesus as divine Son of God and crucified and risen Savior and Messiah, your claim is false and you don't honor God. I can't hardly really stand it. I, gotta, I, I, I should tell you, you know, 18 years ago, um, Calvin Baker and I got together and uh, some other business people in the Vail community 
we, we got together, Calvin Baker was our su- uh, district superintendent. We got together with these people and they said, we want to launch the Rotary Club out here. And we want to know if you guys would come alongside and be a part of it. And so I was like, the Rotary Club is a good club. I like it. It was launched and founded by good Christian businessmen to scholarship kids and, and to help the community and do all kinds of really great things. I said, absolutely. I have a founding pin. You only, there's not very many people that get that. You have to start a Rotary Club to get the pin, right? I got the pin. They said, come alongside. You're a pastor. We want you to start praying at the meetings and stuff. I'm doing a little bit of devotions and stuff. And I said, okay, great. Oh, man, we'd show up, eat breakfast, pay dues, do all this stuff. And man, when we started the meeting out, I prayed. And I prayed for our community, and I prayed, and um, it was really great. We launched this whole thing, and I prayed, and I would conclude the prayer, like I always do, in Jesus' name. Why? Why? Because it's Jesus plus nothing. And it wasn't long. It was about a year, and the, the district, Southwest District, illustrious potentate, I don't know who, I don't know, she came and she was a sweet lady and she was like the president of the Rotary Club in our Southwest region and all that. And she sat in and she was, she was cool. She was, it was fun. It was great. I, I loved being a part of that little club. And she said, hey, you know what? We changed things a little while ago. We changed it and you can't pray in Jesus' name anymore. You, you, you know, you can pray. We don't want you, we want you to pray, but you, you know, you can pray to God. But we got to be careful of that because it's Jesus stuff, you know. Not everybody's good with that. And I'm like, well, I'm. Um, I, I, I didn't have a whole lot of words, right? Because what is happening in my heart is that. The scriptures are in such unity that if you dishonor one, you dishonor the other. If you claim to honor God, but you reject Jesus as the divine son of God, your claim is false, and you don't honor God. You don't even know who God is. So if you can imagine, I said, well, I'm not going to do that. And I just prayed in Jesus' name anyway. And so then she wrote me a letter And then they threatened to kind of take away our chapter thing, right? That's how serious it is. You can't do that. You can't pray in Jesus' name. I said, well, I think I'll do something else, right? I'm not here to bag on the Rotary Club. I love the Rotary Club. Maybe you're a Rotary member, but they don't pray in Jesus' name anymore, and it's not about a higher power to me. It's about Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is the Son of God. I, I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I can't do it. Do you love God? Do you honor God? I don't even know where I am anymore. That's at least number two or three. What does this have to do with me, right? Can we just go to number four? <laughs> if you summarize all these things, here it is. The test is Jesus. You can test yourself and others as to whether you know God, honor God, love God, 
And the test is Jesus. Any claim by a Jewish person, by a Muslim, by a Hindu, by a Buddhist, by a spiritualist, by an animist, by a Christ follower, by a Christian, inside the church, outside the church, I don't care what club you belong to, any claim to know God, to honor God, to love God, while not receiving Christ as the Son of God and the crucified, risen Savior, it's a false claim. Man, I got really preachy with that. But that's, a, that's what John's gospel is all about. That's what it's all about. I hope I'm raising your blood pressure a little bit because the measure of knowing God, honoring God, loving God, knowing and honoring and loving Jesus for who he really is, that's the measure. That's the measure. So Christ follower, follower of Jesus, Jew, Gentile, anybody, embrace the scriptures, all of them, both Old Testament, New Testament, because in them you come to know God and who he actually is. And that means coming to really, really, authentically, truly knowing Jesus. Because all of them testify of him and speak of him, of him. It is Jesus plus Nothing, and I will not pray in anybody's name except for Jesus, the risen Son of God. Now, there's going to be a baptism out here, and I want you to go straight to it. Don't dawdle. Don't walk around like you're at Costco, okay? Because <laughs> there's going to be a couple people who testify about Jesus and the transformation that he has made Um, from the inside out. Father in heaven, thank you um, that it's about you and that the scriptures testify about you. Goodness, we want to honor you because we love you. We know you because the, the scriptures bear witness and testify of you. You're the risen son of God. You are God, the sovereign creator of the universe. And we are eternally grateful We don't want to back down from that, and we want to preach that and teach that and help people come to understand and know in a compassionate way, most definitely, exactly who you are, because we're not here to just pedal, cross your fingers, hope. We're here to help people find the Son of God, Jesus Christ, because he saves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information, or would like to view the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com and follow us on social media.